You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. So there was a Middle Eastern potentate who was a bit crazy, and he had different palaces with underground bunkers and secret tunnels in, and he would travel around in, like, different convoys of cars, and, like, which one is he in? But a human source told us that he has a favorite milk camel, and it was white. So if you could find in the satellite where the camel was, you knew that that's where he was. So this guy spent billions of dollars building these multiple places where he could hide in these different tunnel complexes. But as long as you knew that he had his white milk camel with him, it didn't really matter. No, I do believe that one because I think we all know once you find a milk camel that works, <laughs> like you're... I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. I served in the CIA's clandestine service for 28 years, living undercover all around the world. And in my 33 years with the CIA, I served in Africa, Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. Although we don't usually look at it this way, we created conspiracies. In our operations, we got people to believe things that weren't true. Now, we're investigating the conspiracy theories we see in the news almost every day. We'll break them down for you to determine whether they could be real or whether we're being manipulated. Welcome to Mission Implausible. So as you and I both work all those years at CIA, long flights is just part of the deal, right? And when you're called back, you need to be back tomorrow in Washington to talk, you know, in the Oval Office or whatever it is, and you're sitting in Manila. It's a 16-hour, 20-hour flight back sometimes. I always liked it because in our busy lives, it was one of the few times, like, you didn't have the telephone ring. No one's coming after you. Yeah, I used to take long train rides through Europe. And it was a chance to yeah, read. So when I was in Iraq and I would get home leave, which we would get twice in a tour, to go back home to Hawaii, I would leave Iraq at four in the morning. And then it would go from Baghdad to Istanbul to London to DC to LA to Honolulu. And it would take 35 hours. And yet... I would arrive at 11.30 at night on the same day I left, right? <laughs> well, today, I think we're going to be talking a little bit about airline travel and, and airports yeah. and things. And so 
So this is about Denver International Airport, of all places. And there's a number of conspiracy theories that have sort of built up around the airport. And then the one that seems to have sort of gone wider is this view that there's this big secret bunker underneath. And it's supposed to be designed to house billionaires and the global political elite in the event of an apocalypse. I imagine there's a, a core of truth, right? There's lots of underground tunnels. It's an airport. You've got conveyor belts losing your luggage and my luggage all over the place. <laughs> So we both have had a lot of background with, with tunnels in our former existence. As we both know, back in the 50s, when we were digging tunnels under the Berlin Wall, one of the major problems was, is where do we put the dirt and how do we keep people quiet about it? Digging a tunnel generally means thousands of people or hundreds of people involved. And they all sort of know like where the tunnel is being dug to. So my first question would be, the people who were all digging the tunnel, what keeps them quiet? Why aren't they, any of them, sort of spilling the beans on it? Let me just step back to the Berlin Tunnel, which is actually really interesting. So, right. like in the early 50s, when the CIA was new, the president said, you know, all I want from this new CIA, this is Eisenhower, is 24 hours notice if, when the Russians are coming across right. the border. There was a great fear that they were coming. And essentially, the U.S. intelligence had no input into what Moscow was thinking or when the Red Hordes were coming. And so came up with the idea at the Berlin CIA office there to dig this tunnel from West Berlin under the ground into East Berlin so that they could tap into the East German phone lines and get a hold of Soviet communications and, and that type of stuff. So you're telling <laughs> me, John, this tunnel was so secret the Russians didn't know about it? Well, that, <laughs> that's what makes this into a more interesting story is because- oh. The, the Russians had a, a spy who was a British intelligence officer who was recruited by the Soviets when he was a prisoner of war in North Korea during the Korean War, Right. who spilled the beans on the tunnel so that senior Soviet officials knew about the tunnel, but in their effort to keep it secret, they allowed, allowed it to go forward. And so I don't think they realized at the time just how much intelligence that the West got out of the tunnel. But one of the things they hadn't prepared for is for when the first snow came, all of a sudden, when they looked out of the windows from West Berlin, where they were, they noticed that the snow went everywhere, but there was this long stretch of grass where the heat from the tunnel had come up and melted the snow. They went out and played football in the snow to try to mess it all up. So, so the lesson from this, just past being <laughs> prologue, is that when the CIA dug a tunnel in the 1950s that was incredibly important, super secret, everything involved in this was hush-hush. The Russians knew about it before they even dug it. So you're suggesting that it's hard to keep something secret. I'm suggesting it's hard to keep something <laughs> secret, even when you're in the conspiracy business. You're not going to get any arguments from me. But there's two things I think that, like, why, yeah. why would, it, would conspiracy like this come along? And why do these things sort of gain traction? I think there's two things that sort of fit with what we learned from looking at these other conspiracies, right. too, is one of them, it deals with secrecy, right? So there's this secret place under there. And whenever there's secrecy, people fill that void of what they don't know right. with right. sometimes conspiracies. And the other one is, we're talking about the elite, that there's some band of people that are making big decisions that sort of control things. You know, the world looks chaotic and it looks messy, but there must be somebody controlling it. And these elite have this special knowledge and they need to hide and they need to hide under the Denver airport. Why Denver? One is because it's just this massive, massive area and it was a massive construction effort. And then there was this supposedly revolutionary baggage system that was all this underground series of tunnels right. and things that very quickly... The public was told it didn't work and was closed up. So maybe people thought that was a cover-up for something else that was going on there. It couldn't be that screwed up. Of course, we work in the government, so we know things actually can be screwed up. 
I think Denver makes sense in the fact that it's it's sort of between the coasts. I mean, if you need to get somewhere quick, an airport is a good place to get to. Right. All right, John, let's let's get on to our guest today, Stacy Stegman. So today we'd like to welcome Stacy Stegman, who's Senior Vice President of Communication, Marketing, and Customer Experience at Denver International Airport. And from what we hear as well, you're you're a real hoot to talk with about conspiracy theories and having to do with Denver. Something that you get a lot of, huh? So I started here in this position about 10 years ago. And when I started, the team that I worked with was very into disputing every conspiracy that they have ever heard and pushing back when we got questions from the public or passengers. And I kind of thought, why are we doing that? Let's have some fun with it and let's talk about it and make it part of who we are and part of our brand. And you'll see people coming through the terminal looking for where's the time capsule or what does door 416 go to? And you see those people. And I was like, right, let's, let's embrace it. Stacy, can you explain for us to the uninitiated, what are the conspiracy theories, the main ones that fly around Denver Airport? The one that seems to be most prevalent is that we are housing underground bunkers for the new world order, for the world's elite to come. When the end of the world happens, those that have the golden ticket get to come here to the Denver airport to be safe underground while everything is destroyed around us. There are a number of conspiracy theories about our public art that they depict to the end of the world and it depicts the end of society coming and it's sort of a preview of what's to come. I think it stems back to when this airport was built. Remember, this is the newest large airport in the U.S. And so when it was put under construction, it was moved miles out here to the eastern plains of the state where nothing existed. There are a series of tunnels that run under the airport because of the baggage system that was built at the time and running baggage tugs and things like that underground. And then just that we're connected to every military base around here, that there is some underground system of tunnels that connect us to NORAD and the Air Force Academy and Buckley Air Force Base and all of them. But you can't help but to find interest in some of these. I mean, the art itself, when you just see it, there's some things that I could understand why someone thinks they look odd. We have another piece of art by a Chicano artist that is the one that everybody comes and wants to take a look at. And it's called Children of the World Dream of Peace. But it's all about, you know, showing One, when we're all living in peace and harmony and there's no war, how everyone gets along, life's beautiful, everyone's together. But then it also shows when you are in war, what's that death and destruction? And there's some images in it that are disturbing. I mean, there's a man with a gas mask on and carrying a big machete. You can understand how people are a little intimidated by that or question it. So I have to ask about the horse. Everybody sees it coming in, this incredible blue horse with red eyes, all sorts of legends around it. What can you tell us? That is probably our crown jewel in the art program. It's a sculpture by Luis Jimenez. The horse is called Mustang. He's a 32-foot blue Mustang sculpture with glowing red eyes. We look at him as this sort of fierce protector of the airport. But what did happen while he was being built, it was over schedule. The airport was sort of pushing the artist to get this piece done. The artist was working on the horse out of his studio in Hondo, New Mexico. And he had a piece of the horse that was on a strap and the strap broke, the piece swung and it killed him. And so there's quite a few stories about that. So I think we need to rip the bandaid off here and talk about Jesse Ventura. (laughs) So is he a lizard person? 
you know, that's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. <laughs> so why don't you take us through the Jesse Ventura? I think he sort of turbocharged this. I mean, it was the same many, many years ago. He had heard the conspiracies, made a trip out here to Denver, spent some time, ran a whole story on his show about all of the ominous things going on here at the airport. And it just went from there. Not everybody may remember who Jesse Ventura is. But the, the short version is he was a Worldwide Wrestling Federation superstar who later became a politician and became governor of the great state of Minnesota. He was also a Navy SEAL during Vietnam. After his time as governor of Minnesota, Jesse went on to both work at Harvard and later become a conspiracy theorist who has become particularly obsessed with Denver Airport. Let's listen to a clip from Jesse Ventura's show in 2011. Hidden power, secrets, cover-ups, corruption. You think you know the whole story? Think again. A doomsday conspiracy. The government plot to save the elite, but not you. Do our leaders think they can build bunkers for a select few and leave the rest of us to fend for ourselves? So you deal a lot with conspiracy theories having to do with like tunnels that, that reach like a hundred miles, right? Don't you up to NORAD? So what can you tell us about the tunnels at the airport and what you know about sort of the tunneling conspiracies there? It's probably the most requested tour I get from anyone that elected officials, anyone that lives here locally are just like, can you take us down to the tunnels? And when I take down, it's it's such a sense of disappointment <laughs> from them because they keep thinking they're going to see something much more exciting. You know, our tunnels, they're large and lengthy, but so is our airport. And there's just a, a system to run baggage tugs through. You see, you know, everybody dr driving their tugs down there and it's populated and busy with everybody going everywhere. I mean, we, you know, are an incredibly busy airport serving close to 70 million people last year. And so... That's what I laugh about. I'm like, there's not a space really that doesn't have some sort of activity going on. Another very disturbing one that we hear a lot is that our runways are shaped like a swastika. Yeah. We have six runways that, you know, run every direction. And that's because of the winds here on the Eastern Plain and being able to be most efficient to be able for takeoff and landings and allows, you know, the FAA to pivot quickly based on weather conditions. The thing about being a successful operation is no one is supposed to know. So if you're running a secret CIA operation, you don't put clues out for, for people to see all the time, right? You don't want anybody to know. They, the, the clue is that there are no clues. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but I will say I've spent plenty of time underground looking at what's going on because I'm nosy too. I want to know what the heck's going on under there. You can imagine the size of what a facility would actually take. You know, there's, gosh, almost 40,000 people that work here at the airport, just those people alone trying to hide it from the workers, that would be a pretty tricky thing. There would be some indication of something. Right. Well, Stacy, thanks so much for, for taking the time to speak with us. It sounds like you have a, a fun job there in a neat place, and uh, we're glad that you guys are taking it with a grain of salt. And so thanks so much for being our guest. And now we're going to take a break. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. 
That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Let's talk to our producer, John Sturt. Thanks, guys. So there's a lot of people that know a lot about Denver International Airport. And one of the first people I talked to is a reporter for the New York Times named Tiffany Hsu. She's been obsessed with the airport ever since she went to it for a bachelorette party. The bachelorette party wasn't in the airport. She was traveling through the airport, clearly to a, a club or a bar or who knows, a petting zoo. Petting zoo is what they call strip clubs in Denver. I'm Tiffany Shu. I'm a reporter for the tech team of the New York Times, and I focus on mis- and disinformation, which means I write frequently about false narratives and rumors and conspiracy theories. What's your impression of how prevalent this is and how much people believe it? You know, it's funny. In my job, when I talk to people and say, I'm writing about these narratives and I focus on misinformation, usually people would be kind of hesitant about admitting that they believe something or they'll kind of slowly and delicately work it in. At the Denver airport, the number of people who are off the bat, like, oh yeah, that's totally true, was really striking. A lot of people think that there are hundreds of miles of tunnels underneath the airport that stretch to places like like NORAD in Colorado Springs. They, they say that they're full of things called dumbs, which are deep underground military bunkers that 
are used by the world elite as a place to go in times of apocalypse or, or to hold secret meetings that, that, that can't be traced. There, there was a plaque and I didn't see it myself, but apparently it says that the airport was funded by the New World Airport Commission, which I guess doesn't exist. And a lot of people interpret that plaque as being a reference to the New World Order. You know, it's the elite cabal that runs the world behind the scenes. And, you know, I did hear another theory that suggested that the size of the airport is meant to allow it to double as a prison camp for when the New World Order takes over. Supposedly, all of the fencing around the perimeter of the airport has barbed wire that faces inward to keep people from escaping. I was sitting in the office of the head of comms for the airport, Stacey Stegman, and I looked out at a pretty long stretch of fence with barbed wire on top, and it definitely does not face inward. So so you got a tour. Could you tell me what you saw when you had your tour? You see like little parking areas for other golf cart type vehicles. You see people like whizzing around doing whatever. You know, there are a lot of like little doors set off to the side, but you know, I didn't see anything even remotely suspicious down there. I could never really understand with the Denver airport tunnel theory specifically, like how, how would you keep something like this quiet? I guess they're all really reliable collaborators. Those NDAs are ironclad. Now I want to talk to people who are real experts on building survival bunkers, people that can explain all that goes into it. Turns out that there isn't really anyone building it at this scale, but it was interesting nonetheless. I am the executive director for Vivos. I'm also the director of operations at Vivos X-Point, which is the world's largest survival community located in the Black Hills of South Dakota. So Vivos is the world's largest bunker company, and that involves making bunkers, retrofitting, and building communities around survivals. And X-Point is a facility located in South Dakota in the Black Hills. Uh, it was originally designated the Black Hills Ordnance Depot by the Army Corps of Engineers and built for the U.S.'s involvement in World War II as a major munitions factory. We are now converting that heavily, heavily fortified location from its original purpose to store bombs into protecting and sheltering people from whatever may come. We are also involved other places around the country with all-in-one bunkers that uh, typically were from the Cold War era, designing them to be completely self-sufficient for a minimum of one year of autonomous lockdown survivability. And we're also involved in different countries around the world because there is worldwide demand for a solid and reliable, comfortable shelter solution for the masses. We just started going around the country and around the world finding pre-existing military spec bunkers that were getting auctioned or, you know, had been decommissioned in one way or the other. We spec these bunkers to be survivable for a minimum of one year of autonomous lockdown. Right. Right. So think about all you need for a year. There's a lot that goes into that. It's no secret that Bill Gates, for example, mm -hmm. and really any one percenter, I would imagine, you know, the elites of the world. You know, Bill Gates has bunkers in his mansions for him and his personnel, his family. The whole thing is probably, you know, this triple A level of just 
perfection, five star, just luxury, and also while being survivable. So something that big would be something probably only a government could do. Exactly. Yeah. And they've proven time and again that they can and they will do it. So you need a lot of space. Sounds like well, you need a lot of labor. There's so much that goes into stuff. So. Well, that kind of brings us into our big question for this episode, which is how yeah. would you do it now if you needed to build a super large, several hundred thousand square foot yeah. bunker from scratch? Where would you do it? How would you do it? How long would it take? What resources would it take? You know, we would start with understanding who we're making this for and how many people are going to be using it. You would want to scope out your location. You would want to know that you have access to fresh water, that you have soil that's acceptable for septic systems and things like that. Also, make sure that when your construction trucks are driving in and you got trailers pulling excavators and that sort of stuff, that the neighbors don't know what's going on. Make sure you don't have any neighbors <laughs> in that particular area because the last thing you would want is people catching up to the fact that you have this and here it is. Do you think there are secret mega bunkers that we don't know about? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Dude, I don't even need to go grab my tinfoil hat for that. Hell yeah, there are. And I'm sure they are already working on facilities that'll make NORAD look like a kindergartner built it out of Legos or something. How do they keep it secret? Yeah, how do they, right? Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing too is, hey, maybe you and I are talking about Denver Airport because it's a smokescreen. You know what I mean? Maybe there's something else. So Vivos actually repurposes former military bases or other underground facilities rather than build them from scratch. And people are actually already living in some in South Dakota just uh, because they're, why not? You're already paying for it. So I, I talked to one other person whose company builds smaller bunkers and delivers them to you. And then you dig a hole and you put them underground, probably in your backyard. I remember at Malcolm and Middle, they had one. Hal used to go down there to read dirty magazines so his wife didn't see him. I'm Gary Lynch. I'm the general manager of Rising S Company. The industry we're known as Rising S Bunkers. We build a lot of, uh, actually all we build are underground structures designed to save your life in a catastrophic event. Doesn't matter if it's a nuclear war or a social unrest, a hurricane, a tornado, or, or what have you. You know, they're designed to save your life. Being hidden away and safely put underground, there's nothing to worry about. The concept that is out there is that the largest bunker in North America was built underneath the Denver International Airport. I guess my first question to you is, is that feasible? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You talk, are, are you asking without people really knowing about it? Well, that's part two of the question. Do it broad open daylight right in front of them. Mm -hmm. You know, especially at an airport where, where none of us can just go drive and roam around. Even the employees that work there, they don't have free range to just go roam around. So there, there's no better environment to do it right out in the open than an international airport. So I think it's very feasible. Do I know it exists? No. I mean, you know, I saw the Jesse Ventura episode of some of the things that I saw in there made sense to me. In your opinion, is there a good reason to build it under that airport instead of somewhere else? Thinking on a grand scale of things, the airport is probably, I'm going to guess, 20 miles from, from the nearest, what would be foothill to the mountains. Typically... Government bunkers are, are deep inside of the earth. And one way to get deep inside the earth is in, in the mountains. Maybe it's close enough that, that it's, you know, that everything under Denver airport maybe could possibly just be tunnels leading to other areas. 
obviously it's more costly to go deep than it is horizontal. I mean, think about this. You've got an airport. It's not too far from center from the United States, easily accessible from a lot of major cities. You can land right there and immediately retreat underground to destination unknown. I guess the other part part of keeping it secret is all the people that worked on the construction. But I suppose you don't necessarily know what you're digging down for or what you're building. Well, I mean, let's just say that I've contracted you to to dig a tunnel. And uh, I'm going to tell you that this is for you know emergency response. It's going to seem completely plausible to you and you're going to do it. And your guys are going to know what they're doing. This emergency response tunnels. Okay. Well, now here comes a guy coming in for phase two. We're going to need you to do X and it may not directly connect to phase one. Then you bring in four, five, six, eight, ten, 10, however many contractors you've got, maybe contractor three comes in and ties these two points together. But because of these doors, he doesn't know what he's tying together. I, I can tell him, you know, that's this radio communications for the airport. This is an emergency response tunnel. So you, you piece it together and you piece it out and not any one person knows everything. So, John, I know you've done some research on this. Can you give us a little bit of an outline of what you learned? Well, the government certainly is capable of doing this. They've done it before with NORAD in Cheyenne Mountain, which is, what, only 20 miles from Denver International Airport. That was built under 2,000 feet of granite. It's five acres. There's 15 three-story buildings protected from earthquakes, nuclear weapons. So compared to that, an underground shelter 10 feet below an airport runway, that seems like pretty doable. There is a place in the Czech Republic called the Apodium. And from the air, it looks just like an administration center. It was a secret facility in 1984 at the height of the Cold War. It's carved deep in a mountain, and it's the largest residential doomsday shelter in the world. How about the Raven Rock Mountain Complex? Raven Rock is where Dick Cheney was taken on 9-11 when they needed to put him in a secret facility. It's in Greenbrier, West Virginia. Uh, Apparently, I went to summer camp, probably spitting distance from there. No one is aware of what it looks like or what it is. It's also only six miles away from Camp David. It's basically a freestanding city in another hollowed-out mountain location. It can hold as many as 5,000 people. Guys, the IRS also had a plan in the 1970s in case there was a nuclear apocalypse. They still wanted to collect taxes? They figure they needed $2 billion in cash to get them through 18 months before they could start printing presses up again to start printing new money. And oddly, it was almost all $2 bills because this was after America reintroduced the $2 bill and no one wanted them. The National Archives also had a plan for if there was a nuclear attack, they had to choose between saving the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. Which one do you think they chose? The Constitution. It's got to be the Constitution. Nope. Declaration of Independence. They could care less about the Constitution, apparently. Like some of our politicians today. (laughs) So, John, in light of all this, what's your overall conclusion? Well, it's certainly feasible. Obviously, the government can build anything, right? If they put their resources to it. Cut and cover is much cheaper and easier than digging into the side of a mountain or digging down. Cut and cover is how they built most of the New York City subway, which is where you just dig down from surface, go down, build your thing, put a roof on it, cover it with dirt, cover it with the road, whatever. To me, it sounds like a pretty economical way to do it. And if you're building it near NORAD, and this airport is one of the easiest places in the country for everyone to get to, to fly into, it's an enormous airfield. If you wanted to build this, Uh, This is certainly a pretty good way to do it. 
So maybe the bigger question is whether they would have built something at all. And if they did, if we'd know about it. Good point. I remember I lived in Belgrade in Yugoslavia. They had this big old sort of odd looking house, but in the basement, there was a room. Whoever had built this place, it was already built there with this big, massive like bank vault door in this concrete room that had a tunnel that went out into the, out back into the yard so you could come out in some great way on the other side of the yard. I never was able to use it, but the kids had great fun playing in it. I have to say, I had one of those too, doesn't everybody? <laughs> when I lived in Berlin, we had housing that the U.S. authorities had taken from the Nazis after World War II. The Nazis had these houses because they had taken them from Jews and political prisoners and didn't pay for them. And the house I lived in, actually two different tours, two different houses, both of them in the basement had these huge vault doors and rooms in there so when the Russians came through, they could hide. I wouldn't want to spend two weeks in there, I'd say that. Well, thank you, John. That was interesting. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to speak with our other producer, Adam Davidson. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey, Adam, how's it going? Hey, guys. 
Whenever I try and make sense of these conspiracy theories, you know, one of my first questions is, what's the problem they're trying to solve? And then we go into the other questions. Is this the best way to solve the problem? I got to say, unlike most of the conspiracy theories, there is a problem they're trying to solve, right? We do have continuity of government plans. We do have plans for what to do with the president, with Congress, with senior bureaucratic, technocratic leaders in case of a nuclear war or some other event, right? That does exist. From what I understand, a lot of these conspiracy theories come from people seeing things, mysterious things, odd things at the airport, and then extrapolating those into what the theories are. So for example, there's the the famous horse out in front of it. People see this and they think it can't just be a blue horse with a red eye. There needs to be a deeper explanation for this. And it seems what happens is these are a set of a set of observations looking for a problem to solve. I see. So that whole idea, which does come up in a bunch of these conspiracy theories, that there is a huge effort, like a massive effort to keep it secret. And then a bunch of ways they decided to hint that this is happening. So if you go, if there is this huge secret program, why would you give hints that there is this huge secret program if the whole point is to be secret? Now, speaking for the agency, we wouldn't do that, but we do know that the Russians do do that. So the fact that Russian oligarchs tend to fall off of balconies is sort of their death of choice. You know, while it can't be proven, that is a tell that that it was a, an execution or the fact that the Russians tend to poison people with things like with exotic poisons like polonium or, or that things only like that. a state would likely have that. Right. right. Uh, yeah. And that is a tell. And yeah, there's a wink and a nod at that. Right. That's interesting because they because you want to both you want to do a bunch of things, right? You want to kill somebody, I guess, if you're assassinating. You kind of want them to know, and you well, you want other people to know you did it, but you want to be able to plausibly deny that you did it. So it's a little bit of a dance, right? Yep. Right. Because if the whole point is you want a secret place right. where you, like you could imagine a situation where the US government wanted China or Russia to think we have a place so that they bomb that place instead of the real place. I remember someone telling me, I have no idea if this is true, that Bruce Springsteen has two houses in the town he lives in. One is his actual house and the other is the house everyone thinks is his house so that he doesn't have to deal with everybody. It's like when the president and, flies in the helicopter into the White House, there's always several helicopters. So you don't know which one right. he's in. So you don't know which one. All right. Another thing that pops in my head, this is f from reading spy novels and watching spy movies, most of which are f completely accurate from what I understand. Mm -hmm. There is the whole thing of dead drops and using chalk to mark a thing or putting a flower pot in your window or whatever to say, hey, we're, is that a real thing or is that just a movie thing? That's a real thing. I spend a lot of time doing that in places like Russia where you're under surveillance all the time. And so if you're being followed and watched by the other side, you have to have subtle signals to your sources that you're ready to meet or that a package has been put down for them to pick up at a prearranged location and that kind of stuff. So chalk mark, uh, there's any variety of things that could serve as a signal. It could be an electronic signal. It could be a, it could even be a smell or, or it could be aquarium gravel dropped on the ground, so colored rocks, or it could be a mark of some side. Or like you said, you can put out your, put out your laundry on a certain day and, you know, certain colors could mean something. Right. 
something that's seen but isn't discerned, right? You don't know what it. But there is Adam. You you, you touch on you touch on something else when you talked about when when we talk about underground caves and labyrinths. There's something basic inside of the the human condition that caves and labyrinths and uh, you know are 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 inherently mysterious and we always want to know i think you know as a species we've always want to know what goes on in there now did you when you were in baghdad did either of you ever go to the saddam tunnels under the palace i did it was pretty crazy this was right as the us was occupying and the way i got soldiers to like me and tell me stuff and give me MREs because it wasn't easy to find food was I had a sat phone and they didn't. So I would let them call their family and, you know, and a lot of them hadn't talked to the family since the war. And I was standing with a bunch of guys at one of the palaces. And after I let them use the phone and they we were kind of having some nice, like, wow, we all just survived a war kind of conversation. Um, they were like, all right, come on, I'll show you. And they took me down and it was... I don't think this was the main entrance. I don't think this was the entrance Saddam would have used. It was a ladder down. And then, I mean, it looked more like, I don't know, a, an institutional, like a school or a hospital, like a very like long corridors with lots of rooms on either side. I have no idea if it was deep enough to survive a nuclear war or anything like that, but it was pretty striking. And it was pretty, like, as I recall, it easily could have, fit many hundreds of people, maybe maybe many thousands of people. And I assume do most, I mean, most governments must have something like that, right? Well, the like U, one of the reasons of the U.S. government would want to build things like this, in addition to the, the reasons that John said also, is our military has had to attack bunkers in places like Iraq and Iran and North Korea or be, or be ready to do that because a lot of places have built deep, deep places to do nuclear research or to hide their military or what have you. And we have to test our weaponry, our bombs, and our we have bombs that supposedly dig underground or that can blow up uh, these kind of places. So there was w one particular story, I think I can tell it, is, is so there was a Middle Eastern potentate who was a bit crazy and he had different places. Well, that does narrow it down. Different palaces <laughs> with underground bunkers and secret tunnels in. And we could never be certain because he would travel around in like different convoys of cars and like, which one is he in? But a, a human source told us that he has a favorite milk camel and it was white. And so if you could find in the satellite where the camel was, you knew that that's where he was. So this guy spent billions of dollars building these multiple places where he could hide in these different tunnel complexes. But as long as you knew that he had his white milk camel with him, like, it didn't really matter, right? And so I don't know. No, think I he, do he, believe that one because I think we all know once you find a milk camel that works, like you're. <laughs> 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 well, that's pretty <laughs> obvious. Have I told you guys the story about my car in Baghdad? Was it cursed? Well, so I was driving up from Kuwait to Baghdad and my employers at, at Marketplace a show about money. They were very concerned about money. Right before I left Kuwait, a bunch of reporters for Newsweek had their car destroyed during a battle in the Iraq war. And the main takeaway my editors got from this was not, wow, we got to keep Adam safe. It's really dangerous. The main takeaway they got is, oh, 
insurance doesn't cover acts of war. So if Adam rents a $30,000 car and it gets damaged, we're out the whole 30000 So they asked me to buy a used car so that we kind of cap our loss at whatever I pay for the used car. So I bought a Jeep for ten grand in Kuwait and then drove it up to Baghdad. And then did you drive in Baghdad at all? It's crazy. It's like the worst. Well, I didn't drive. I was driven. But yes. Yes. So I hired a driver, Thamer, who used to say Iraqi drivers are the best drivers in the world because they have to drive on the roads with Iraqi drivers who are the worst drivers in the world. <laughs> so I then sold this Jeep, this white Jeep, to this fixer for the New York Times named Abu Karar. And Abu Karar had a bunch of misfortunes in this car. His cousin was arrested driving the car. Then there was some other thing. And then the third thing was the car was in a damaged in a suicide bombing while another relative was sitting in it. And the relative didn't die, but was injured. And so he came to the conclusion that I had cursed the car or I had done something that got the car cursed. So the car was now cursed. And the only solution was either to kill me or for us to have what in Iraq is called an exorcism. Just to have sort. a set, no, a settlement. And so we went to meet with Abu Karar, sat down with him for a long time. And after he talked to them, they came to me and said, you have to pay him money and you have to like pledge to remove the curse. <laughs> it was only 500 bucks. So that's how much my life is worth. And he wrote out on a piece of paper, a little contract saying he was formally forgiving my guilt for putting a curse on him. And then I sent the contract in and put in the expense report for my life. <laughs> <laughs> and no one at Marketplace said anything. They just paid the expense. So Adam, I do have to tell you that I may be guilty of using US taxpayer dollars to pay a witchcraft fee for an agent. Actually... I may have done that several times, and I got it through our finance people. But if they believe it, it's true. It's a real motivator. Wow. Dude, I had trouble getting reimbursement for peanut butter I gave as a gift to a source, and you you were doing witchcraft and getting it paid for. I, I did, and it had to do it had to do with a dead chicken and peeing on a doorstep. And then a guy lost his toe in a lawnmower and he was certain it was witchcraft and we had to help. But well, that makes sense. When you're wow. in, in Can C you say what country this was in or are you not allowed it was, to? It, it, was in an, it was in an African country. And this was one of the things that helped cement the deal to have a, an individual assist the CIA. It, it depends on how you write it up, how you present it. So I may have paid for a green elephant to appear at a party. Did. You did. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I did. I did. It's a long story, but but the green elephant also was responsible for saying Russians showing up at a particular event, right? You know, you don't say it was a green elephant, but you do say like what it was there for. And right. it was a gray elephant, but they did paint it green. It yeah, was I Saint, think we figured that uh, out, Jerry. <laughs> I was about to say, it was Saint Pete. It was, I'm just saying. Well, listen, if you want more of these fun stories, join us next time on Mission, yes. <laughs> Mission <Yeah>. Implausible. <laughs> Mission Implausible is produced by Adam Davidson, Jerry O'Shea, John Seifer, and Jonathan Stern. The associate producers are Rachel Harner and David Solinger. This has been a production of Honorable Mention and Abominable Pictures for iHeartMedia.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.